Why don't you turn me to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter one. What a joy it is to have my daughter back from Mexico tonight. I love you. Before we look at scripture tonight, I, I want to I wanna tell y'all something. I love being a preacher. I, I just do. And uh, it's nice of y'all to come. But the thing I enjoy about preaching the most is not the preaching. That's not the big deal. By the time I get up here, I've done heard it. That's not the big deal for me. The thing I love about being a preacher is meeting people. I meet the greatest people in the world. And I, I just, I just love people. I, I'm sort of a, the notion that people is what it's all about. You know, the size of your building and all that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. I just love people. And I get to meet some of the greatest people. And I, I met one of the greatest, one of the most impressive young men I've met in my life this afternoon. And I'm going to tell you about him. I'm traveling today on the Silk Hope Road headed to Siler City also known as the promised land. I'm headed to Siler City. I'm going up to Silk Hope Road. Right before we get to Silk Hope, I'm, it's hot this afternoon and I'm driving and out in the middle of nowhere, a little country road, is a guy sitting on the side of the road behind a table selling a few vegetables. Well, I looked over and saw him as I went by and I said, I got to go back and talk to you. So I said, Lord, help me to help him. So I turned around and went back up there and uh, pulled out there and I got to talking to him. He's sitting at a little table. I had a little canopy to keep the sun off him a little bit. It didn't matter. It's still hot today. He's sitting there and he's selling a few vegetables and I got to talking to one of the neatest guys I ever met. Y'all got my picture? Put my picture up there. That's him right there. He has cerebral palsy and uh, he can't walk at all. He's in a wheel, motorized wheelchair. He can't talk to where you can understand him. I couldn't pick out but a word or two, but he's got a little girl. I think it's a family member sits with him and she interprets and tells you what he's saying. Can't, he can't use his hands. His hands do like this. He can take, he can do that right there. So you have to take his hand and put the money in his hand and hand it to him. And we got to talk and such a great guy. And he was so happy and so excited. We had the best time visiting. And he said, I don't want somebody taking care of me. I want to do my part, take care of myself. And he said, I want to get out here and work and provide for myself. I'm sure he doesn't provide completely. But I meet these people like this all the time that uh, he was so happy to be alive, didn't feel the least bit sorry for himself and wanted to carry his weight, sitting out in the sun selling a few vegetables. Of course, he ain't got none no more. I bought them all. Ain't no big deal. There wasn't that many up there anyway. And I went and bought what we got out of the garden this morning, but I was glad to help him out. And just the greatest guy and let me tell you what I fear is happening in our land. I'm afraid the spirit of Elijah is getting on us in that we're the, what the media is doing and social media is doing, we're starting to think everybody's rotten. And, and as Elijah said, I'm the only one that loves God. And God rebuked him and said, I got 7,000 people that adore me. You're not the only one. Let me tell you something. God's got people all over the place that love him. And I meet the greatest people. There's good people everywhere. And uh, the joy of our lives is not how big our house is, how big our car is, our bank account or anything. Like that. It's people. And it's meeting the great people. And uh, I, want you to, I want you to meet great people. They're everywhere. I want you to be a great people. Just thought I'd throw that in for free. All right. If you're ever going down the Silk Hope Road near Silk Hope on Monday, Wednesday, or Friday afternoon, stop by and see him. And buy, buy what he's got, buy his stuff. And uh, just such great people. I'm gonna tell you something. The spirit of God is working in the earth and he's doing great things in the earth. All right, tonight is the wild night. Revelation chapter one. We're in a series called The Signs of the Times. Tonight we're talking about Here Comes the Judge from Revelation chapter one. Now, do you remember what the book of, some people use the phrase revelations and there are many revelations in it, but it is the revelation 
I want you to look at the title and look at the first verse. It is the revelation of what? Not the end times, just the revelation of Jesus. And chapter one, verse one says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Now, you know what revelation means, don't you? It's when he shows you something nobody else can see. Literally, it means to pull back the veil. And in this book, Revelation, he pulls back the veil. And tonight's when we're going to see what most people don't know about Jesus. And uh, tonight we're in, in chapter one, Revelation, where Jesus gave us, it's when the Lamb of God changes. How many of you believe that Jesus will change one day? You're going to see it. It's when the Lamb of God changes and he's no longer the Lamb of God. He becomes the judge of humanity. And this is why the book of Revelation is get written. It's given to me and you. And I want us to see another side of Jesus tonight. It's when the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world becomes the just judge of the world and comes back to judge the world in Scripture. Now, uh, the Bible says there's a, a day is coming. We've already seen that where everything on this earth is going to come to a halt. One of the great songs Bill Gaither wrote, the marketplace is empty, no more traffic in the street. All the builders' tools are silent, no more time to harvest wheat. Busy housewives stop their labor in the courtroom, no debate. Work on earth has been suspended as the king comes through the gate. And that's the great day that the Bible speaks of when Jesus will come back to this earth and culminate time and he'll become the judge of the earth. And the gospels, what's Jesus painted as? He's painted as the lamb of God who brings grace to every person. I want you to listen to what the Bible says 15 times. 15 New Testament books begin like this. And I'm, I'm using 1 Timothy 1, 2. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the message from Jesus right now? There's grace. There's mercy. You can be forgiven. You can find peace with God through me. There's grace. God, I don't care what you've done in the past. And the message through, right now through the Gospels and in this day is that Jesus came to bring grace to those of us who needed it. John 1, 16 through 18, tremendous passage. The law came through Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. And of his fullness, we have all received and grace on top of grace. The message right now is the grace of God. And that's, he, he brought a time of grace for people. And listen, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. There's a debate and an argument. I don't understand why people say, what about the people who live on this earth who have never heard about Jesus, can they be saved or lost if they never heard about Jesus? Now, let me teach you something. No human being will ever set foot on this planet that God doesn't reveal himself to. That's right. He will reveal himself to everybody. John 1, 9, if you want to look it up sometimes, says this. Jesus Christ is the true light who comes into the earth, who gives light to every man who comes into the world. Every human being will be touched by God sometime in their lifetime, and they'll have a revelation of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about the native in Ghana. I, I don't have to understand it. I just have to believe what his word says. And God Almighty is a just judge who will every human being on this planet will be touched by God at some time in their lives. And so it's available to everybody. But I just, I love the God. I love Jesus because Jesus did not come to call the healthy. Amen. He came to call the sick yeah. like me. And I see, I was taught you got to be good to walk with God. No, you got to be bad to walk with God. <laughs> it's not that you're not good enough. You may not be bad enough. Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. Can I ask you a question? Who is the first convert ever in the new covenant? Thief on the cross. He was the first one converted under the new covenant. Never went to church, never gave offerings, stole everything in sight. Evil man, judged, put to death. He's in heaven right now. You know why? Because as Romans 5 says, where my sin abounded, his grace was much greater. 
And it's the message of grace today that, that we're living in. You can call it the dispensation or the age or the era of grace. We're living in a time of wonderful grace for everybody. But here's the revelation. This day's coming to a close. And he who brought grace will bring judgment and he'll become the judge of the earth instead of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth. And I want us to look at the scripture tonight in this. This is a, this is, you know, I told you last week, this is John writing this book. And remember, John was the closest friend Jesus had. He had 12 apostles he chose, three in an inner circle, but John was the closest man to Jesus. He was the one always sitting beside him. The book of John is the clearest picture of who Jesus is in the earth because John walked closer to Jesus than anybody else. So this John is on the island of Pat. He's been exiled. He's an old man now. He's 90 some years old. And he's on this island, going to finish his days out. And the Bible said in verse, I think it's verse eight, uh, John, uh, Revelation 1, 9, verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So what does that mean? He, he still worshiped. He got up, nobody else there worshiped, no church to go to. He's the only believer on the island, just a few criminals and him. But he goes out and sets down somewhere and he says, it's time to have church. And it was the Lord's day, which would be Monday for, or their Monday, it'd be our Sunday, not the Sabbath. And he's sitting there and all of a sudden he just starts worshiping God and he got in the spirit and he's thanking God. And he got the shock of the ages in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice. It was a man's voice. How's it described? How loud was it? A trumpet. Question. If I was to sneak up behind you while you was praying and blow a trumpet in your ear, would you hear it? That's what happened to him. He hears a voice. Well, it can't be the voice of Jesus, can it? I thought God's voice was a still, small voice. This is the revelation of when Jesus changes. And he hears this trumpet in his ear that blasts him. And uh, here's what it said, verse 11. I'm the Alpha and Omega. We talked about that last week. First and the last, what you see right in a book, send it to seven churches. He names in verse 12. When I turned to see the voice that spoke in me, I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man. Who'd he see? He saw Jesus. So he just, he thought he was out there by himself and he's, he's praying, he's worshiping God, thanking him for his goodness. And all of a sudden he hears this voice and it is so loud that it startles him. He turns around and he sees his best friend, Jesus, standing there. And he's in the middle of seven lampstands. We'll look at that later because that's chapter two. And he sees Jesus. Now, how many of you remember what Jesus looks like? You know, got the, the beard and the robe and the humble look about him. He probably got a little lamb under his arm. That's who Jesus was. That's not who Jesus is. What's this book right here? It is the revelation of who Jesus is. And I want you to look at what he saw when he turned around. He turned around and he saw Jesus. Verse 13, in the seventh smith's tent, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. What he saw so shocked him that he either passed out. He just passed out. He didn't die because obviously he got back up. Jesus picked him back up. So this man had walked with Jesus like nobody had. He knew Jesus. But when he turned around, is this the Jesus we see in the Gospels? 
No, this is the revelation of Jesus after he's done being the Lamb of God. This is when he becomes the judge of the universe. Now, do you remember, I told you last week, and you need to know this, we saw in chapter one, verses one, two, and three, the book of Revelation is symbolized. He sent and symbolized it. So the book of Revelation is full of symbols and every symbol means something. And what we have to do is go back and say, well, what does that symbol mean? What does that symbol mean? What does that number seven mean right there? Because in the book of Revelation, numbers are not just numbers. The numbers three, seven, 10, and 40 are special. They, numbers mean something. And I want you to look at what the scripture said he saw Here's the revelation of Jesus. The Bible said in verse 13, he had a golden band around his chest. Who's the only person allowed to wear a golden band in that day? Kings could wear them. Only kings could wear them. And we saw that he, Jesus is in verse five, we saw that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, Jesus was kicked around by kings when he came the first time. He was mocked by kings. He's mocked by kings today. He will not be mocked when he comes back this time. He will be the king of kings and he'll wear the band that represents that he is the king of the earth. Secondly, you see that his hair was white. That's sort of a misnomer because in the book of Isaiah, the Bible said his hair was as black as a raven. That's who he was. This is who he is. What's white hair always symbolizing the Bible? I know in, the, in our modern day, white hair symbolizes get out of my way. Go get in a nursing home, stay out our way. And that's what it means today. But ours is a culture that doesn't respect old people like, say, Japan does and other countries. What's white hair always representing the Bible? Wisdom. And his, white hair, his hair is white representing ultimate wisdom. And of course, Jesus is the perfect wisdom of the ages. Verse 14 is where people begin to get messed up. What does it say about his eyes? Those gentle, compassionate eyes. What do you see now? Eyes of fire. Have you ever heard this term? That woman had fire in her eyes. Does that speak of gentleness and massiness? His eyes are a blaze of fire. Scholars are divided on this. I think it's both. Some say that, it, that the fire in his eyes is the passion of his love. And the fire in his eyes, have you, have you, ever, just, have you ever seen somebody that's so passionate with the way uh, they look at somebody? That, that's fire in the eyes. That it's the passion of his love. And you're going to see the revelation is that the one thing that Jesus cannot stand is half-hearted love. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he says, I, I, I don't want you half-hearted love. I want you to love me passionately. Why? Because that's what's in my eyes towards you. The passion in his eyes is his love for people. But what else does fire obviously represent in a person's eyes? Judgment. And it represents judgment once again. All through scripture, the fire either represented passionate love or judgment and uh, as we see in Ephesus, number 15, in verse 15, the Bible said his feet were of what? Bronze. Anytime you see bronze in the Bible, it's judgment. I may have you remember an old song that uh, used to go like this. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are soared. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. Our God is marching on. You remember that song? Well, that... <laughs> That's Revelation chapter 19, verses 15 through 19, where the Bible speaks in Revelation 19 that Jesus will come on a white horse. He'll have a robe dipped in blood, which is indicative of the fact that he's been to the cross. A name written on his thigh that no man knows, King of kings, Lord of lords, many crowns. And then the Bible says this, he has come to tread out the fierceness of God's wrath in the winepress. You all know what a winepress is. 
uh, in the Middle East. And I think uh, that day you'd take grapes, you'd throw them in a vat, big vat. And then usually women did it, but in this case, Jesus does it. And they'd get in there and they would walk on those grapes and mash them down to get the wine flow through and the junk would be left behind. That's a picture of the fierceness of God's wrath. That's why his feet are bronze. And that's why Revelation 19 said he has come to to press out or to stamp out the wrath of God's judgment in that day. Now, this is a different picture of Jesus completely. And uh, also, I want you to notice this. I love this. I love this about Jesus. Notice with me in verse 15. The Bible said this, his feet were like fine brasses or fine in a furnace. His voice had the volume of many waters. Anybody ever stood beside Niagara Falls? Could you hear the water? It's, it deafens you. All right, his voice is like that. We saw in verse 10 that his voice is like what? It's like a trumpet in your ear. Is that loud? All right, what's the problem? We're not in that day right now. What day are we in right now? First Kings 19 says we're in a day where the voice of God is what? I heard a, I heard a still, small whisper. Be still and know that I'm God. God speaks quietly today. He speaks quietly to human hearts. He speaks quietly to humanity. His voice is very quiet today. But now let me ask you a question. How many of you believe he's still speaking today? Amen. I don't understand why this is a debate. I watched a well-known preacher in our state just this past week, and he mocked the idea that God speaks today. And he said, you got a Bible, and that's the only thing you're ever going to hear from God. God doesn't speak today. And I, you'd be shocked if I told you who he was and where he was at. I don't understand that. Look across the page, Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. Here's a revelation for you. You ready for a revelation? If any man has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit, what tense is it in? Does it say said? Or does it say, it, it should read is saying. It's in the present tense in the Greek language. The Bible tells me in Revelation chapter 2 verse 7, the Spirit of God is speaking today. Why can people not hear God according to that verse? Does it, did I tell you right? Revelation 2 7. Yeah, Revelation 2 7. Why can people not hear according to that verse? Is it because God's not speaking? Or because they don't have an ear to hear? All right, the Bible said, if you've got an ear to hear, let him hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking today to the church. Matter of fact, if you want to look through some other time, Revelation chapters two and three, seven times that verse is in Revelation chapters two and three. How many times does God have to tell us something before we believe it? Seven times he said, God's speaking in the earth today. But listen, he's speaking quietly. You have to be still to hear him today. You have to hear him in your heart. John 10, 27 says this, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them. So God's speaking today. Listen, it's real quiet and most people are not hearing him. What's the revelation here? When Jesus comes back, his voice will be so loud, he will drown out every other voice. Uh, This is my humble opinion. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. I am so tired of hearing what people got to say today. I'm tired of the junk and the jibber jabber. I'm just tired of it. I want to hear what God's got to say. But you can't hear the voice of God today because of the cacophony of junk floating through the airways today. Guess who's speaking today? Here's a revelation. Let me tell you who's speaking today. Revelation chapter 12, and the serpent opened his mouth and poured water out of his mouth into the earth to flood the people and carry them away with the flood. Who are we hearing in this land today? Not Jesus. It's the unholy enemy speaking through media, people, junk like that. I want to hear the voice of God. But the Bible said a day is coming where every voice will be silent and God alone will be heard. Ask me if I'm looking forward to hearing nothing but God speak. And the Bible said that in that day, his voice will be 
like the sound of many waters. A lot of times when I'm praying, especially if I'm, I pray for my nation all the time, I'm, I'm called to pray. And I pray for my nation. A lot of times I'll start praying, I'll say this when I start praying for my nation. Father, every voice is silent except yours. I don't want to think about what anybody else is saying. I don't want to think about what's going on. I don't want to hear anything. All I want to hear is your word. And in your life, you need to silence the racket and hear what God's got to say. And we need to silence the junk that comes from anywhere except heaven. But in that day, you won't have to worry about people hearing him. What's it say? You think you could hear a trumpet visit in your ear? I promise you they'll hear him in that day. He goes on to say this, uh, verse 16. This is the most unusual picture. In his right hand, seven stars. We'll talk about that next week. What's coming out of the mouth of Jesus in this picture? A sword. Isn't that a strange picture? There's a sword coming out of his mouth now. Well, let me ask you a question. Does a sword represent grace or judgment? All right, do you think he's talking about a literal sword here? What comes out of a person's mouth? Words. Jesus brings words of grace right now. To the woman caught in adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. To the fallen, he said, get up and start over. To the lost, he said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. To the hungry, he said, I'm the bread of life. He's, when he's speaking words of grace are coming out of his mouth today. What's coming out of his mouth when he comes back? Words of ju- judgment. And there's a sword. Obviously, the, coming out of the mouth represents words that come out of his mouth there. And uh, again, this is a day of grace, but it's going to change. Now, here's what, uh, what is so Wonderful about this. In verse 16, he said his appearance was like the shining of the sun. How many of you can stare at the sun and not be bothered? This is, now listen, a lot of art, I think some artists, not a lot, but I've seen some artists have tried to paint this picture literally. They paint him with the white robe, the gold band. The, I've seen the sword coming out of his mouth. But what's the part nobody can paint? You can't paint the brilliance of the sun on paper. And John said, when I saw him, it was like looking at the sun. It was so bright, you just couldn't do it. And that's the brilliance of Christ. A little, do you remember where a little bit of this slipped out in the Gospels? Remember Jesus took James, Simon, and, and uh, John, went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible said he was transfigured before them and his garments became as bright as no fuller launder can wash them. A little bit of this glory just slipped out for a minute and they saw it. And then Jesus pulled his glory back in and became like a man again. Well, this is where he takes off the man outfit. There was the man outfit that Jesus wore on the earth was a temporary human body so he could become one of us so he could sacrifice for us. That's not Jesus. This is Jesus right here. And his glory is as the sun shining in its strength. And this is brilliant, you know, and it it affected him. What kind of effect did it... uh, what kind of effect did it have on the man? Well, just seeing him, what kind of effect did it have? Verse 17, when I saw him, I just fell down like I was dead. I don't even know how to describe that, but I know this. It must have been something. I mean, your best friend walks up, you heard his voice, you turn around and what you see just knocks you down. And apparently he fainted from what he saw, just so overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. Where, where's the little lamb Jesus now? Remember what this is? Listen, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is who he is right now. If you went into the throne room of God, which is chapters four and five, this is what you'd see. This is what he would look like right here. And this is the beauty and the appearance, just overwhelming. Now I want to show you something else real quick. Verse 18, here's what he said. I am a he who lives. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. You understand that, don't you? He lived, he was dead. Didn't Jesus get crucified? How long is he going to live for this time? What's evermore mean? (laughs) 
Now watch this. Here's what I want you to see. Amen. I have the keys of hell and death. You understand what it means? You know what keys do, don't you? Their authority. Who's got the keys to this building? Who's got the keys to the car? Who's got the keys? And the keys in the Bible are always indicative of authority. What's Jesus got the keys of? Hell and death. Where'd he get them from? I could tell it theologically or I could tell it Southern Alamance, how you want to hear it. Here it is. The Bible said that Jesus died. How long did he lay in the grave? What did he do while his body was in that grave? He descended into hell. Now I'm going to put it in language you can understand. There was a party going on in hell. Satan's only blockage to ruling this earth had finally been put to death. And I mean, they had a party in hell. There was wine coolers and Jack Daniels and who knows what they was listening to. And they're celebrating. All of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And some little demon imp went and answered the door and came back to the big guy, Satan. And he said, there's a guy out here who wants to talk to you about them keys. He's come to take them away from you. And that's exactly what happened. The Bible said he descended into hell. He took the keys, which are the authority, back from the one who held them and who's got them now. I have the keys. Now, you got to understand, this is his eternal, permanent authority. Now, Satan has authority. But you can read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, listen to what it says. Woe to those on the earth. Satan has come down to you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. Right. What does that tell you? He's got authority. If you don't believe Satan's got authority, get, read the newspaper. Go out, go somewhere. But listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 12, 12. It's temporary. Right. He knows his time is short. His time is limited. Who's got the keys eternally? Let me make an announcement. I love Psalm 118 says this. His kingdom shall rule over all the earth forever. And the end of his government shall know no end. Jesus is permanent. And so the Bible, we get a revelation that he's permanent here. What a tremendous picture of who he is. Now, here's the revelation from the book of Revelation. The day of grace is coming to an end. And it will shift into a day of judgment. And this is a great truth and a great message. There's a prophetic picture of this that'll help us understand this. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 24 where this same Jesus talked about it. Do you remember Matthew 24 is the primary passage in the Bible where Jesus spoke about what was coming in the earth before his second coming. And uh, two weeks ago we looked at the signs, uh, the division and the warfare among the races. Uh, ethnicity will rise against ethnicity. Lawlessness. Anybody know of any lawlessness going on in the earth right now? Uh, I mean, it reads like a newspaper. But Jesus gave us a, a look at one of the great promises of the second coming of Jesus in Matthew 24. Verse, let's read verse 32, 36. Matthew 24, 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, only the Father. Now watch this verse. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's the hint right there. What did Jesus tell us? Open, if you'll open your Bible sometime, turn to Genesis chapter 6, read what it was like in the days of Noah, and you'll know what it's going to be like when I come back to the earth. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns to earth. Now, there's two things we know about the days of Noah from the book of Genesis. Number one, great evil was in the earth. Matter of fact, Genesis 6 says this, the intents and thoughts of men's heart were only evil continually. What's it going to be like when Jesus gets back to this earth? 
I thank God for everybody that's working to help this place and make a better nation and make a better planet. I want to tell you something. This book is going to come to pass. The Bible is true and evil is going to increase in the earth. Now, along with evil increasing in the earth, I will, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy. As the, the number one selling novel of all time, A Tale of Two Cities, begins like this. The first line says this. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Guess why I'm excited about the best of times? The spirit of God's going to be in the earth like never before. So is the spirit of hell. The, the days of Andy Griffith and Leave it to Beaver are gone. I mean, we're going to see an escalation of both the glory of God and the evil of evil. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And men's hearts continually evil all the time. But the second thing we learn about Genesis chapter, about the day of Noah, this is the message that is not getting out by the church today. And it's not an important message. It's the only message. Uh, Genesis chapter six, you remember Noah was a man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good man. And God told him what? Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming on the earth. You got to remember something. It was not raining when Noah built the ark. That's not a cute saying. That's truth. That's prophetic truth. There, matter of fact, there had never been rain on the earth when Noah built the ark. If you look in the book of Genesis, God watered the ground when the mist came up from the bottom at the time. Rain only came on the day of Noah when he was in the ark. So Noah builds this ark. Guess how he knew to build that ark? Hebrews eleven six says this, Noah, by faith, being divinely warned by God of things nobody else could see, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of himself and his family. God showed him what was coming. Warned by God, divinely warned by God. He built that ark. And the Bible said it was a tremendous ark. He went into the ark. And I think one of the most tragic verses in the Bible, and it's a prophetic verse, uh, Genesis 6, 17 says this, Noah brought the animals into the ark. Remember, bring a mating pair of every animal. I want to preserve the animal kingdom. Bring a, he, he brought, Noah brought the animals into the ark. Noah brought his family into the ark. What's the rest of that verse say? Noah closed the door. Uh-uh. God closed the door. Huge ark, tremendous door let down to let the animals in. Why does the Bible, Noah built the ark. Noah loaded the animals. Why didn't Noah close the door? It's a prophetic picture that there will come a day when God will close the door and the opportunity to be saved is no more. Does anybody know what the ark's a picture of? Jesus. The, 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 the ark and being in the ark when destruction comes is a physical picture of being in Christ when the end comes and the safety that's in Jesus when the destruction comes on the earth. But that verse has always just haunted my spirit that God closed the door. And this is what the book of Revelation tells us. There's going to come a day when grace will come to an end and the door will be closed on the opportunity for people to call on Jesus. And uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think those people in the days of Noah heard the word of God? Does anybody remember what Noah's occupation was? He was not a carpenter. Second Peter 2, 5, Noah was one of eight souls saved through water a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher. He preached 120 years. He only had seven converts. Himself, his wife, three daughters, and three son-in-laws. 120 years he preached. And he said, the people would say, what was the ark? And he would say, judgment's coming. And you better get inside this ark. And nobody listened to him. And they heard, listen, they heard the word of God. Noah preached righteousness for 120 years. What did the Bible say? as it was in the days of Noah. God's going to speak in the earth, but what's going to happen? 
people aren't going to listen to him until that day comes. And so it's such a tragic truth in there. One of the, the, the spirit of evil has turned the word of God into a joke in our nation. Talk to the average intellectual and tell them Jesus is coming back to this earth and he's going to bring this earth to an end. There's going to be judgment. You need to get saved. What will they do to you? Right, one of the great uh, pictures of this in the Bible is in Genesis 19, 14. You remember a man named Lot? He lived in a place called Sodom that was exceeding wicked. And the angel of God went to Lot and said, God's going to destroy this city because of its wickedness. People say, well, that was Old Testament, Brother Brian. Is 2 Peter in the Old Testament or the New Testament? What do you say in 2 Peter and the book of Jude? The destruction of Lot is a physical sign to those upon whom shall come the end of the ages. But the Bible said in Genesis 19.14 that Lot believed God. And he said, we, we got to get out of here. He took his wife. He had two daughters, had two sons-in-laws. That's what the Bible said. He spoke to his son-in-laws and he said, judgment is coming. And listen to what it said. It seemed to them like a big joke. So they didn't leave. And what happened to them? And you're going to see that all across. Of course, we'll talk about why that is. You're going to see that all across. Now, here's a question. If the book of Revelation is true, did y'all hear that if? If the Bible's true, what should be the most important thing in our society today? It should be who's in the ark. It should be, are you ready for what? The second coming of Jesus. I, I want to challenge you to do something for me. What is more important today than being ready for the second coming of Jesus? Jesus said it like this. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world if he lost his soul? How many of you think this nation is working very hard right now to get ready for the second coming of Jesus? It is a fulfillment of Mark chapter four, where the Bible said the sower sows the word. God has sent his word to this land. God has sent his word to the earth. But verses 16, 17, 18, 19 say this. But the people were so caught up in the busyness of their lives the deceitfulness of riches and their concerns about other things that they rejected the word that had been given to them. And uh, that, that's where we're leaving. Now here's, here's the revelation for believers. I want to see one of the greatest revelations in the Bible. Turn back to Revelation chapter one. In Revelation chapter one, this is such a word of encouragement. And this is a great revelation. All right, you remember John is in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's praying and he gets, would you say he was shocked? I'll say it shocked him to death. He was stunned. He hears a voice, he turns around and there's Jesus like he's never seen him. And this is the revelation. That's why I said, write it down. This is the revelation. And he's terrified by what he sees. Now is John a friend of Jesus? Is John a believer? Is he a child of God? Look at, here's the revelation of what Jesus says to his people. Revelation 1:17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, scared me to death. But he laid his hand on me and said to me, you have nothing to be afraid of. Do not be afraid. No believer has any business being afraid of the second coming of Jesus. And not only should we never fear, what is that a picture of? God's going to put his hand on you. And God's going to touch you. Bill Gaither wrote one of the greatest songs ever. He'd been in a revival one night. He went to, the guy's name was Doug Oldham, great singer. Doug Oldham's dad preached revival. Bill came up and led the music. Bill was still a high school music teacher at the time. He hadn't made a zillion dollars selling videos yet. So Bill's still doing high school music. They went to the revival. It was a great meeting and they're going home and Mr. Oldham Sr. Uh, 
he said, uh, they were riding, and Bill said, I said to Mr. Oldham, I believe God touched everybody in that building tonight. What does it mean God touches people? It means he draws close to them. And you can sense his spirit has drawn close to him. He said, I believe God touched everybody in that building tonight. And Mr. Oldham said to Bill Gaither, you ought to go home and write a song about that. So went home that night, picked up a legal pad, and he wrote, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know God touched me and made me whole. What does the Bible teach us in Revelation here? Amidst the destruction that's coming, if you're a friend of Jesus and you love God, he's going to put his hand on you. He's going to touch you. And you will know I have nothing to be afraid of. Now, let me tell you something about this word right here. When God speaks, it's not just information. There's power in his voice. Do you understand that? When God speaks, you don't just hear words. Preachers speak, you might hear words. But when God speaks to you, there's power in it. So when he said to John, do not be afraid, all fear left. And when he speaks, I will hear what the Lord will speak because he will speak peace to me. I've heard people say, well, God spoke to me and all the fear just disappeared. That's exactly what happened right there. And God's, is he speaking to his people in this day? We've already seen that. So do you see the contrast? Those who reject Christ will hear the voice of judgment. His people will hear the voice of comfort and peace and he'll have his hand on them. What a tremendous picture of what's going on in the earth today. That's why I, uh, the church in America had better start hearing the voice of God instead of the voice of fear and strife that's going on in the land. The, the day, you know, there were days in the 40s, 50s, even in the 70s and in the 80s where you could play games and get along pretty good, mind your manners, eat your banana sandwich, go to church on Sunday. We're moving into days where people better learn to hear the voice of God. And we need the touch of God on our lives today. And listen, he is ramping up his voice and he's speaking in the earth today for, what do you have to do to hear the voice of God? Be perfect? You have to have an ear. You have to have an ear to hear. You have to have the ability to hear him speak. So it's a great word for our day. All right, here's, here's a word from God for our day. I'm going to ask you a question. This is a hypothetical question. I want you to answer it. If you were vacationing at the beach and you're down on the coast having a large time and enjoying the sun, and all of a sudden the weather forecast came on and it said, a Category 5 storm is fixing to hit the beach right where you're at. Would you pack up and get out of Dodge? Is that a hard question or What? How many of you are one of them storm riders? You'd stay, I understand a category one, maybe a two. We're talking about a five here. Nothing left standing when it comes through. How many of you would try to ride out a category five? I'd like to meet you if you would. I just, uh, matter of fact, I'd like to be named in your will. If you would, it'd be great. <laughs> Did you know Jesus said that in the Bible? I want you to look at me at this, Matthew chapter 16. Look what Jesus said about people who won't get off the beach when it rains, when a storm comes. You don't believe it's in there, do you? Well, there ain't but one thing to do then, is there? Matthew 16. Jesus, I don't think Jesus can be shocked by anything. You can't be shocked when you have all knowledge. But I think he is surprised at how people don't respond to him. I think he weeps over it. I know he does. Because in the Gospels, Jesus stood before the city that hated him the most and did the most evil and he stood there and the Bible said, Jesus wept and said, all I ever wanted to do is gather you like a hen gathers her chicks and you wouldn't let me help you. And I believe he's surprised at the fact that he speaks to people and they won't let him help them. But in Matthew 16, here's that verse I told you about, Matthew 16, verse two. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. In the morning, it will be foul weather for the sky is red and threatening. Y'all have heard that? That saying's in effect to this day. Sky red at night, 
Sailor's delight, sky red in the morning. What? Sailor's take warning. He said, he said, you, he said you, you know this. Now watch what he said. He said, the threatening hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time. What did Jesus say? You'll hear a weather forecast that a hurricane's fixing to hit the beach and you'll pack up and get out of Dodge. But I send you the Bible and tell you that destruction's coming and you won't get ready for it. He said, you, you'll believe a weather report, but you won't believe me when I tell you a storm's coming to the earth. And this he said in context of the second coming and the judgments that's coming. You know, I, I just, uh, it's amazing to me that we watch the weather and do whatever they tell us. We need to start watching the Bible and listen to what God says is coming in the Bible. <laughs> do you hear the surprise of Jesus? He said, you, you won't go out on the ocean if there's going to be a storm, but you will stand and face judgment without finding your way to me. And so he was surprised at the, at the rejection of Jesus. Now, all right, do you believe what we've seen tonight is true? Am I, making, am I doing some kind of joke up here, fear stuff, or are we reading it straight out of Scripture? All right, if this is true, if what we read is true tonight, if it's true, you know what people's response should be? Then we need to warn people. We need to warn people. We should put it on billboards and tell people. We should put it on TV. We should put it on devil media, social media, devil media. But if this is true, how many of you think people need to know about this? I right, stay with me here. I think people need to know about it too. Now, here's the problem. Me and you can tell people, I tell people, only God can reveal it to people. I can talk all I want to. I can quote Bible verses, but until God touches your heart, you won't believe it. You can't see it until it opens your heart. This is why it takes more than a message. It takes God. Only God can reveal truth to people's hearts. I want to quote it again. I quoted Hebrews eleven six. By faith, Noah being divinely warned by God of things to come, prepared an ark and saved his family. Who's the only person can open my heart to hear this stuff? Only the Spirit of God can. Uh, John, let's look, in, let's look at this. Turn with me to John chapter 6. In our land today, we put so much emphasis on slick marketing, you know, human effort to get the word out. Dear ones, until God speaks, nobody's going to believe anything. You can fuss at your husband, your kids, your neighbor, all you want to. They'll never hear a word you got to say and they'll think you're telling a joke until God opens their hearts, speaks to them. John 6, 44 is a tremendous truth. No one can come to me, John 6, 44. You need to, you need to know these two verses. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Who's the only person that can come to Jesus and get saved? God has to be working inside of you. God has to be drawing you to himself. I'll raise him up at the last day, verse 45, as it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who what? Has heard the Father runs to Jesus. You, you can't come to Jesus as your Savior until God speaks to your heart. I mean, I can stand up and tell you the Bible, but God has to touch your heart to receive it. God has to open your heart to receive what's been told in there. One of the, matter of fact, I had a little girl today sent me a text, one of my precious little girls from here. She's moved away and she was frustrated. She had been, had been talking to a girl today, I think at work, about the Bible. A girl had questions. She said, I, I just, she don't believe the Bible's, the, that God wrote it. She believes it's just a book from men. She can't see it. And I texted her back. I said, relax. You can't make anybody see it anyway. All you can do is tell it. Acts 16, 14 says this about Lydia. God opened her heart to receive the things spoken by Paul. 
You can talk to your kids. You can talk to your family. I can stand up here and talk to y'all. But if God don't touch your heart and let you believe it, you'll never see it. God's the only one who can open the human heart and let them see truth. Dear ones, listen to me. That's why prayer is so important. I have seen people preach the most polished, polished, theologically perfect messages and everybody slept through them. Guess where I saw that at? It was me. Dear ones, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. You can talk to people. It don't matter. Only God can open the human heart and touch people's hearts. That's why prayer is so important. What's the number one thing? I prayed this. The number one prayer I've always prayed for my children. And you need to pray. Let me show it to you. And you need to pray this for your family. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter one. This is the number one prayer I've always prayed over my kids. And let me tell you something. You can pray it and you can believe God will do it. He doesn't put this stuff in the book to play games with us. If it's in the book, it's in there to help us. And all of us have got people we love that don't know Jesus. And they would not be ready if he came back tomorrow. And they're not going to be ready unless God opens their heart. That's why Ephesians chapter 1, let me share this great prayer. Verse 16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. I prayed constantly, Father, I praise you that the eyes of my children's hearts are open by the Spirit of God and they see the beauty of Christ and they're drawn to Jesus. I pray over y'all all the time. You can't help people by being a great preacher. You help people by the Spirit of God coming and opening people's eyes. And you pray for the Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ to come upon people. I'll give you one example of how God, listen, if, you, if you're a believer in Jesus, this has happened to you. Nobody comes to Jesus unless the Father speaks to him. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus looked at a man and he said, who am I? What do you say about me? And Simon responded, you are the Savior. You're Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Well, Jesus didn't say you must have gone to Bible school. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. No man taught you this. My Father who's in heaven has shown you this. And on this, I will build my kingdom. He's not building his kingdom on Peter. He builds his kingdom on the ability to hear God speak. The revelation from heaven. I'll give you an example of this. And I've seen this over and over. That lady went to my, I might have told you all this before, but I'm in my 60s. Lady went to my church and she was very bothered because her brother was a priest in the Mormon church. And uh, they didn't believe in the power of Christ to save like we do, like the Bible teaches. And she was very bothered because she said, I've tried to talk to him. And she said, he won't listen. She said, now I just agitate him. Dear ones, unless the Lord builds the house, you're laboring in vain. And uh, she said, he just don't want to hear it. And she said, he's convinced that this stuff is right. I said, quit talking to him. I said, buy him a book. And I told her what book to get. It's called The God Makers. And it's a book about, it exposes the cultic and it reveals the truth of Jesus. I said, buy it and give it to him. I said, he won't read it. I said, just give it. He won't read it, but he'll throw it in his house somewhere. And then you start praying for him and don't ever say another word. It's one of the greatest words you'll ever hear. Quit talking. I said, don't ever say another word to him. And you pray for him faithfully and pray this prayer that God will open the eyes of his heart and, may, and just give him that book. It'll be in the house. It'll be a tool that God uses. It was two years later, she called me one morning. She said, last night, my brother went to bed early. His wife was there, said she picked up that book, read the entire thing, began weeping and said, we are wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. Two o'clock in the morning, she went and woke him up, 
said, you said, we're going to read this whole book right now. At five o'clock in the morning, he said, Jesus is the Messiah. And they accepted Jesus, became followers of Jesus. Well, why'd that happen? It wasn't that good a book. I mean, it was a good book, but it wasn't a book. It was because at the right time, the spirit of God opened their hearts to believe what had been said about Jesus. That's why it is so important for you to pray for people and pray that God would open the eyes of the, listen, you're not trying to talk him into it. He desires all to be saved. You're doing spiritual warfare when you pray and God is working. I can't explain this. I just know we need to do it and that it works. That's why prayer is so important. Now, <clears throat> I want to show you one last thing here. What is the tool that God has chosen to save the world? Now, the cross is the means. This, is going, this will wipe you out when you seize this. When, you seize this. <laughs> when the revelation came to me of this, I just said, everybody's going to be that close right there and we're going to miss it. What is the tool that God brought into the earth to save people's souls? I want you to look with me at this. One more, Luke chapter 16. And Luke chapter 16 is one of the most, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's just a, if it's true, it is stunning. Luke chapter 16 is a, is a stunning revelation. It's the only place in the Bible that somebody is allowed to speak from hell. Luke chapter 16. And there's a stunning revelation in this passage right here. And this will help us with our friends, cause us to rejoice in something. All right, Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and lived a, a wonderful life, a luxurious life every day. Scrumptious, sumptuous. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate. You got the picture? Here's a rich man who lives fat and sassy. A poor beggar lays at his gate begging. Of course, we don't have it now. Back then, you'd lay at the gate and beg for some money. Verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. Does it say something after the beggar died? Is the word and? I mean, I believe there's something after death. The beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and was buried. And being in hell in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You got it? So one man went to heaven, one man went to hell. Now let's make something real clear right here. He didn't go to hell because he was rich. Uh, Lazarus didn't go to heaven because he was poor. There's only one way to gain heaven, and that is by the blood of Jesus and your faith in him. You can be a multi-multi-gajillionaire and go to heaven. You can be dirt poor and go to hell. The money's not the issue. But apparently the Lazarus was saved and the rich man had rejected Christ. So the Bible said he lifted up his eyes, verse 24. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now, we live in a day where scoffers and even preachers now mock. They absolutely mock people who believe that hell is a literal place of suffering. What are you going to do with the Bible? This is one of the major teachings of Jesus over and over. You say, well, explain it. I can't explain it. I don't need to explain it. I need to get out of it. I need to run to Christ and find salvation. But listen, dear ones, if you're going to cut this part of the Bible out, what else are you going to cut out? If you ever start taking things out of the Bible, what are you going to have left? If you're going to throw that out, why don't you throw out John 3, 16? Dear ones, it's all God's word. And here's the revelation. Now you're saying, well, I think that's terrible. Let me make the major announcement of the Bible. Nobody has to go. That's the good news that we bring in here. 
All right, the Bible said this. Abraham said, verse 25, son, remember in your lifetime you received good, Lazarus evil. He is comforted, you are tormented. Verse 26, beside all this, between us, you and there, is a great gulf fixed. Those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. That shoots down the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. You, listen, once you die, the decision, the lot is cast. The Bible is very clear right there. You can't move from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. It's done. There's a gulf fixed, the Bible says. So this praying people out of purgatory into heaven, it's not going to happen. The Bible is very clear about this stuff. We need to stick with the book. All right, here's what I want you to see now. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, send him to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may witness to them lest they come to this place. Everybody in hell is an evangelist. When you get to hell, you want people to know the truth of Jesus. What do you say? If you can't, if you can't help me, send Lazarus back to the earth and let him go talk to my family about what I've now seen, what I laughed at before I got here. And of course, here's the answer. He said in verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to that. Does anybody know what Moses and the prophets are? How would we say it today? They got Bibles. Let them read their Bibles. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The prophets wrote the rest of the Bible. At that day, you only had the Old Testament. So he said, if, if, you, if you just send them back to my brother, what was the word from heaven? God put his Bible in the earth. People need to listen to the Bible. I want you to watch his response to the message that the Bible is God's revelation to us. Here's his message. Verse 30, he said, no, no, Father Abraham. If one goes from the dead, they, they'll listen to him. Why did he say no? The Bible's not enough. Why did he say that? He had a Bible. He said, I didn't pay no attention to the Bible. He said, I heard preaching. But I didn't pay attention. He said, but I believe if somebody would go back from the dead, it was God's way is not to send people from the dead to warn us and say, it's real. What's God's way? They have Bibles. They have Moses and the prophets. I've given them my Bible. What's the number one selling book in the world of all time still is? There's an average of four Bibles in America for every home in this nation. This nation is flooded with Bibles. What's happening right now? Same thing. What, it, what people said, well, you had the Bible and what's the answer? No, I wouldn't listen to the Bible. I may even know it's a good time to be listening to what this book's got to say and pay attention to it. And he said, if they go back, one would repent. Now here's the great, this is one of the stunning messages. Verse 31, when he said to them, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, if they won't read their Bibles, they won't listen to somebody that comes back from hell. I don't care if somebody walks out of hell and begins to preach on television People won't listen to it. He said they got the Bibles. What is God's tool to bring people to the revelation of eternal life? It's the Bible. And it's the word that he sent to us, which again brings us back to the truth that until God opens people's hearts, can't be there. And I want to say two things to you about that. Is anybody here thankful for the Bible? Amen. The Bible is being disregarded in the nation right now. This nation was founded on the Bible. Our foundation is on the Bible. You, you can go back and study that. If you go into the Supreme Court right now, over the top of that great door. What is engraved over that door? Moses is engraved over that door and in his hands are what? The law. And the Bible is the foundation of our national law. You can read our early fathers. It was the foundation of this nation. I believe this nation was blessed tremendously because God blesses people because of the Bible. You know why God blesses homes and churches today? 
let's look at it. Well, well, then we're not there. I'll just quote it to you because we'll see it later. Listen to this. You want to, here's a revelation out of Revelation. Revelation chapter three. I have set before you an open door and nobody can close it because you have honored my word. Amen. People that honor God's word are going to be blessed and he's going to set open doors in front of them. Can you sense from this passage he's serious about his book? So is anybody here thankful for the Bible? <clears throat> is anybody here thankful that you heard the truth during the age of grace and said yes to Jesus? Ask me if I love the ark. I'm not talking about the big wooden one that's replicated in Kentucky. I'm talking about the ark who died on the cross, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I will never experience the judgment. I'll never see it. I'll never have one ounce of it. You say, well, you're a wicked man. Makes me love him all the more. Now, let me tell you why I won't experience the wrath of God. And a lot of people say, they don't believe this side of it. Did I just not show you in the Bible that there's going to come a day when the lamb will become the judge? Better to bow him before him and honor him as the lamb than to face him as the judge. I do not understand why anybody would read the Bible and not say all to Jesus I surrender and not come running to Christ. Doesn't make a lick of sense to me. But you, I want to say this, in, this is my last word here. This is what I don't understand. Why anybody, anybody would not get saved knowing that this little three seconds on this earth is not worth losing eternity. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world? Now, I didn't gain, I didn't gain, I didn't gain the whole world. I don't know anybody ever did that. My dear friend, Charlie Daniels, that I love dearly. If I keep eating, I'm gonna look like him for long. Who was laid to rest last Saturday. I love Charlie Daniels. He grew up in a little town south of Siler City where I used to preach at down there years ago. And uh, Charlie is one of the most famous musicians ever lived. He was probably the most beloved musician that ever lived in the music industry because he was such a good and great man. Served our troops, traveled, yada, and all that stuff. But when he fell over, he had that stroke last Saturday and he stood before God. He didn't stand there as a musician. He didn't stand there as a multimillionaire. He didn't stand there as a platinum award winner or a Grammy winner. He stood there as a man. And I saw them all stand before God both great and small, the book of Revelation says. And when God said to him, why do I let you into my heaven? He didn't say I entertained troops all over the world. I gave money. He didn't say all this stuff. He didn't say I was famous. He said, because although I grew up in that little Baptist church in Goldston, North Carolina, and I heard the message, but it never sunk in. And for years I lived like the devil. Listen, the devil not only went down to Georgia, he went down to Charlie's house for a while too. He said, I lived like the devil for years. But he said, there came a day after my hard living when what I'd heard all my life in that little Baptist church in Golston hit my heart and I knew Jesus is real. And I knew that judgment is real. And I knew that there's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to gain. And the blood of Jesus is the only way there. And he said, on that day, I bowed my knee and I accepted your son as my savior. And what did the father say to him? Welcome home, son. Not because he's a great singer, because everybody's got to come the same way. I must need go home by the blood sprinkled way. There's no other way but this. I am thankful for the grace of God. I don't understand this. I was an evil person. I used his name in vain. A lot of people a lot better than me. And why he showed his son to me will always be a mystery. People better than me, smarter than me. I mean, got everything I don't have and they can't see it. How many people by witness to have smiled and said, thank you for your time, preacher. I just can't see it. They're telling the truth. They're not rebels. They, they just don't, they can't see it, but I saw it. 
And then I don't understand that. I'll never be able to explain why that is. But I know this. I will praise him for all of eternity because my eyes he has opened to believe that Jesus is the son of God. And he's the greatest carpenter that ever lived. He built a bridge all the way to heaven using just two boards and three nails. And the cross is the only way home. Now, all right, here's my, here it is. I'm fixing to blow it up and let the pieces fall where they may. And I'm not joking about this. I think the church in America is missing it a mile and a half. We are emphasizing things that just really don't have much eternal weight. And I'm not saying bad things, but I'm, if this is true, what should the church be doing? So I don't want to make an announcement. I don't care where you sat on the Titanic. I don't care if you sat in the nicest stateroom or you're down in the bottom. The Titanic is the Titanic. I don't care whether, what kind of music you listen to on the Titanic. Son, when the Titanic hits the iceberg, it ain't time to be trying to rearrange the seating chart. It is time to get in the lifeboat and his name is Jesus. I'm thankful what people do. I got a lot of friends who get caught up in different things and I think they've been distracted. But as for me and my house, guess what we're going to do here? All right. I have friends that get caught up in things. I got friends that are caught up in physical healing. I believe Jesus is the healer. If I get sick, I want you to pray for me. Let me tell you something. Even if you see a miracle of healing by God's hand, that's still temporary. You're going to fall over one day. Eternal life is more important than healing. Deliverance. I believe social justice is something the church ought to fight for, but I got news for you. When Jesus gets back, it don't matter who's where. Nothing is more important than making the main thing stay the main thing and preach the gospel of Jesus. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and straighten it out. Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, I'm not responsible for making them understand. I'm not responsible for making them like it. I'm responsible for telling it. And the Holy Spirit of God can take it and put it in people's hearts. Is there a greater privilege on this earth than to be a part of what Jesus is doing for eternity? Last verse. I'm going to quote it and quit. Close my Bible. That means I'm serious this time. It hit me like a ton of bricks one day. I'm praying and I'm getting a little wide in the turns on things and I'm getting my hand in too many things as a preacher and a minister, all good things. And he spoke to me one day out of John chapter six and he said this to me, labor not for the meat that perishes, labor for the meat that endures to eternal life. This is good stuff, but there's gonna come a day when it's gonna be gone, son. You focus on eternity and you live for eternity. Question, Five seconds into eternity, when we look back, what do you think we'll think was important? I remember after 9-11, just the weeks after 9-11, everybody in Christianity was talking about how we have got to get focused on people being saved again. Rebuilt after 9-11 and folks have forgotten it again. Here's my last illustration. That was my last verse. This is my last illustration. I've always been fascinated by the Titanic. I think it was a prophetic word from God that pride goeth before a fall. That, what's the, what, did, what was the message? What did they say about that great ship? It could not. Only thing it ever did was sink. They said it cannot sink. And you understand why? Because of the ballast system was new. And even if it hits something, it'll be okay. Only thing it ever did was sink. So the Titanic struck the ice. I think it's one of the most fascinating pictures. Do you remember, maybe you didn't know this. I mean, the movies could use a little more prophetic edge. It strikes the iceberg 
and witnesses tell us people didn't believe it. They'd been drinking, they didn't believe it. And they stayed in and they danced and listened to the music till the ship sunk. They didn't believe that it was fixing to go down. And they mocked people and said, this is the unsinkable Titanic. But guess what it did? Other people were fighting over things. Some people didn't hear the warning and some got in the lifeboats. All right, the next day people waited at the Cunard Lines in New York City is where their home office was and they waited, loved ones waited and waited because you didn't have instant communication like we do now. And they waited and finally, the White Star Lines there came out and put two lists on the front door and people pushed and shoved to read the list. And at the top of each list, it said saved and the other one said lost. It didn't say anything about who had the nice rooms, who had the tacky rooms. It didn't say who had the great entertainment. It, only thing it said was say, when it was all said and done, what's the only thing that mattered? Who was saved, who was lost? And dear ones, when it's all said and done, all the stuff we're jibber-jabbering about now, only one thing's gonna matter when Jesus gets back. Who's saved and who's lost? So I want us to pray in our own lives personally and as a church that we will never be distracted by good stuff and forget that the main thing is to get to people in the lifeboat. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you for your word. Very sobering. I thank you for the great hallelujah passages. I thank you for Psalm 100 where we rejoice in the Lord and we come before your presence and, and we sing and we serve you with gladness. I thank you for the great celebration passages in the Bible. But Lord Jesus, the same book that has those great celebration passages also has those great warning passages. I thank you and I, I, can, I can't even express my gratitude that I saw the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world as my Savior. And I ran to Him. I don't think it was me. I think it was you. And I praise you and thank you that there is salvation in Jesus. This stuff isn't going to go on forever. I personally believe we're drawing to the second coming of Jesus. I'd love to be here when you get back. But dear Jesus, I want everybody to be ready. I wish we'd all been ready. So I give you the praise and glory. Thank you for your word. I pray it wouldn't just affect us emotionally, but this word will change the way I live. Me, I'm not praying for them now, for me. I want it to change the way I preach. I want it to change the way I pray. I want it to change what I think about. Dear Jesus, I do not want to be like the man in Luke 16 who after it's over has regret and said, I wish. I want to be like Lazarus who said, I'm here. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness. Let the word of God be the only true reality for eternity in our lives. I pray that for every person now, that your word will be settled forever. I give you the praise and glory. Friends, we're praying with our heads bowed. I'm going to ask you the greatest question you've ever been asked, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in the room here. Greatest question you've ever been asked. If Jesus comes back tonight, are you ready? You have heard God's word tonight. You've sensed his spirit speaking to your heart, very sobering presence of God here tonight. And ask a simple question, are you ready? This can't, this can't be a I think. This has got to be I know. That I know that I know. I wouldn't lay my head on the pillow to go to sleep tonight until I knew. If Jesus comes back or I die in sleep, I will be like Lazarus, I will go to be with Jesus. Friend, it's the only big decision you ever make in life, and I want you to make it tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask you to draw people to the Son of God right now. Those watching, those sitting here, I want everybody to be saved. And Lord Jesus, you died so everybody can be saved. Friend, if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, the free gift of salvation, 
if you're willing to repent of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Take Him as your Savior and your Lord. Give your life to Him. You can do that with a simple prayer. Jesus said this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you want to call tonight? What's stopping you? Let's do it right now. In your heart, pray this. He's listening. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on a cross because you love me. I believe you sent your word to speak to me. I believe you rose from the grave in great power because of who you are. And I come to you tonight humbly. I confess I am a sinner and I, I, I claim my sins. And I ask you to forgive my sins through the cross. And I ask you to take them all away. And I turn and I make you the Lord of my life. Now I want to follow you. I want to be yours forever. So I come by simple faith like a child tonight, receiving you as my Savior, my Lord, and my dearest friend forever. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving my soul tonight. Thank you for putting me on the saved list tonight. I'll worship you and praise you till that day I see you face to face. Whether it's in death or I see you coming back. I'm yours from this day forward, dear Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Now, friend, if you prayed that in a minute, raise your hand real high. Put up real high where I can see it. Thank you. Put all those down. Lord Jesus, I just praise you and thank you for your goodness. What in the world is more important than eternity? I thank you and praise you so much, Lord Jesus, as you told me years ago, son, you're not ready to live till you're ready to die. I thank you and praise you. That's why I enjoy my life so much. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. And if I fall over, sudden death is sudden glory. I can't wait. When I see your face, face to face one day, oh, that will be glory for me. And I give you the praise and glory and honor for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you wrote a book and put it in our hands. That is the revelation of God's love for us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.